This is a Rooster Teeth production. July 31st, 1992. Thai Airways Flight 311, an Airbus A310 carrying 113 passengers, is on approach preparing to land in Kathmandu, Nepal, after a flight from Bangkok, Thailand. The crew asks to land to the north on runway 02 so they can avoid mountainous terrain north of the airport. Due to poor weather south of the airport, air traffic control tells them they will have to land in the other direction on runway 20. The captain is worried about the approach, so he asks the first officer to see if they have sufficient fuel to divert to Calcutta, India. As they are working through the numbers, air traffic control radios them and lets them know that the weather has cleared a bit so they can land on runway 02. The aircraft is now too high to begin the approach, so they need to turn back south to the airport to begin their approach again. As the first officer tries to enter the waypoints into his computer, he can't find the waypoint that should be in front of them. Puzzled, he asks, we're flying north, eh? 28 seconds later, the plane slams into a mountainside, killing all on board. Find out what happened to Thai Airways 311 on this episode of Black Box Down. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Black Box Down. It's Gus and Chris. Hello, Chris. Hello, Gus and people. Oh, oh, hello. Didn't see you there. <laughs> I still don't see you there. We're back. Uh, another episode. Before we uh, get into it, of course, want to remind everyone to give us a follow uh, on social media at Black Box Down Pod for supplemental images and, um, you know, just various, various things uh, that you can see that maybe don't come across in the audio podcast format. And we also have a premium version of the show with uh, no ads and the release is early. You can find more at blackboxdownpod.com. Uh, we actually just released a little premium episode for this uh, first class Black Box Down experience, <laughs> which is funny. Yeah. You, and I say first class Black Box Down. <laughs> And we wanted to make sure that, you know, the, the content we release there for premium first class listeners is uh, is like extra stuff. It's stuff we wouldn't normally have uh, released otherwise. Uh, it's above and beyond. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you want to support the show, it's just uh, three bucks. Yeah. And there's a free trial, at least on Apple Podcasts. Uh, I'm not sure about other platforms, but you can check it out. Whatever podcast platform you're listening in, just check it out or go to blackboxdownpod.com. Sounds confusing. It's not. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway. Today we're talking about Thai Airways Flight 311. It's been it's been a little while. 1992 been was an incident from about 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. So this airport in Kathmandu is situated between two mountain ranges in the Himalayas. So it's it's kind of challenging to fly into. I'm gonna try to say the name of the airport one time. This is it, uh-huh. <laughs> Tribhuvan International Airport or Tribhuvan Tribhuvan. Somewhere in that area. I, I, I tried, more, that was more than I tried, once. I tried more than <laughs> once. I'm sorry. So if you think about it, you know, this area is indeed very mountainous. Mount Everest itself is not too far away. It's just, mm. you know, kind of east from here. So coming into this airport, south of the airport, the mountain ranges top out around 8,000 feet. Then, you know, there's the city, Kathmandu and the airport. And then north of the airport, the mountains get up to 20,000 feet. So it's kind of, you know, you kind of, that, that's why earlier, you know, in the intro, I said the captain kind of wanted to land to the north. Because he didn't want to deal with those 20,000-foot mountains to the north. Yeah, that's crazy high. Yeah, it's really high. And they kind of renovated and extended the runway back in 2020. Uh, but before that, so back in 1992, pilots had to land on a 10,000-foot tabletop runway that was on this plateau. And at the time, back then, Nepalese air traffic control also did not have radar. So it was uh, challenging. You, you may think like, oh, you know, what's the big deal? A mountain, it's like the mountain's moving. You can see it easily. You also have to remember there's clouds. And then when there's mountains, sometimes there's bad weather. Mountains also affect the way that the wind moves. There's, it's, it's, it's a very 
complicated situation. It's a lot to deal well, with. It sounds like you have to do that kind of like kind of a, a slam dunk kind of dive in. I mean, yeah, it's 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 possible. I don't know specifically. I tried looking up the, you know, the approach procedures for this airport. I couldn't really find them myself. I'm sure that they're out there. But the 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 elevation of the Kathmandu Airport is about 4,000, let's say, let's call it 4,400 feet above sea level. Okay. So it is, it is also kind of high. And, but the, 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 the place where the airport is situated is clear enough between the mountain ranges where it's not like you have to clear 8,000 feet, then dive down, you know, to, okay. to, to get down onto the runway. But it is a very complicated situation. And uh, this particular flight was coming in, like I said, from Bangkok, uh, Thailand, and was approaching since, you know, think of, if you think about it, if you like create a, one of the things I do when we talk about these incidents or when we're researching them before we record is I try to visualize what's going on. You know, mm-hmm. obviously Bangkok, Thailand is south, like southeast of Nepal. So this flight's coming in from the south, which is another reason they kind of want to land to the north. They don't have to circle or anything. This kind of comes straight into the north. So they were approaching the airport from the south mm-hmm. and they were scheduled to arrive at Kathmandu at 1255 Nepal Standard Time which is 7.10 a.m. universal time. Their, their time zone difference is plus five hours and 45 minutes. Okay. It's kind of confusing. Um, the rest of this time, I'm a little off. <laughs> it's, it's weird. But so the rest of the time in this report uh, is going to be in universal time. But just know this is shortly after noon in Nepal. There was that, I know we recently did an episode where they were like in between hours, right? But this is 41 minutes off. 45, five hours, 45, 45 minutes. 45, yeah. okay. If you think about it, you can really set a time zone or whatever you want. I think here in the United States, you know, we're used to hour increments, but yeah. I mean, time time is arbitrary. <laughs> you, can, you can really set it to whatever you want. Anyway, it's just like, <laughs> it's, this, it's this weird thing we all agree to, to obey and we all agree to one standard. It's, thank goodness we all have one time. Can you imagine if we had like metric time oh and imperial time? It would be crazy. Anyway, okay, I'm getting distracted. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> There's only 51 minutes in my hour. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I don't want to even think about that. So the aircraft was piloted by Captain Prita Sudamai, who was 41 years old, and First Officer Putant Bunyajez, who was 52 years old. Uh, and there's a cabin crew of 12 flight attendants looking after 99 passengers. So once they crossed into Nepalese airspace, the aircraft contacted air traffic control and they were cleared for the instrument approach from the south called the Sierra VOR circling approach for runway 20. I tried to look up, again, like I said, I tried to look up this approach and these charts. And, you know, it's been, like I said, it's been 30 years. I, uh-huh. I couldn't find this specific approach. I couldn't find the, the Sierra waypoint. Things have changed a bit. If you found it, please let us know on social media. <laughs> uh, maybe you, you have a better job than I do. But what this is, all that to say, Sierra VOR circling approach, runway 20, that's to say, like, they're using a VOR, like a navigation aid, to kind of direct them, mm-hmm. presumably from the Sierra point, and they will approach the airport and then kind of do a circle, we've talked about this before, to land on runway 20. The VOR circling approach is just to kind of get them to the airport. And then, you know, they kind of circled on the specific runway that they're uh, headed towards. As I said earlier, air traffic control was not equipped with radar, so pilots had to rely on position reports and navigate using only their instruments. And you know, this was an instrument approach, and these are professional pilots, so not a big deal, but challenging. Mm-hmm. And inclement weather would also hinder visual confirmation of their position. Like I said, you know, when there's mountains like this, you, have, you tend to have clouds and wind, and it may be poor visibility. It must have been bad weather if they were considering going somewhere else, you know? Well, I, I think, you know, 
the captain really did not want to land on runway 20. Didn't want to go north of the airport. And Calcutta's not ter- I mean, it's far away, but it's not like they're going to spend hours in the air going there, you know? Okay. Just looking, looking up their options. Okay. So on top of all this that I've already established, there were additional mitigating factors. So when the crew attempted to configure the airplane for landing, they discovered at 6.47 and 34 seconds universal time that the wing flaps failed to extend properly, rendering landing too dangerous to attempt. Oh. Yeah, so they tried to extend the flaps, and the flaps started extending, then gave an error, and then retracted. And they're going to really, you know, you really need the flaps for landing because it allows you to descend. Well, one, it increases the lift of your wing, and two, Uh it allows you to descend without really increasing your airspeed. So it lets you get slower than you normally could in a clean configuration. And they really need these flaps because like we mentioned, like you said, you know, you asked if they had to do a slam dunk landing. And I said, maybe not necessarily, but they still do need to descend without really increasing their airspeed and flaps are good for that. So yeah. if they don't have flaps, you know, now that's, that's maybe one of the reasons the, the captain's worried about this, about this circling approach from 2-0. And, and it just didn't work for whatever reason? We don't know yet? Right. They just tried to extend them. They started extending, then gave an error message and retracted. So it's actually at this point that the crew requests permission to divert to Calcutta. So th- that's, it's kind of making a little more sense now. Yeah, yeah, because I was like, man, he just, it must have been really bad weather from, you know. <laughs> so they requested, you know, they asked permission, but before air traffic control could respond, the wing flaps actually started extending properly. Oh. Like a minute and a half later. However, in this time that elapsed, the aircraft had traveled too far north and was too high to begin their descent toward the runway. Oh. So kind of... This failure and then them having to, you know, figure out what's going on with the flaps and mess with that kind of ate up some time. And now they're out of position. They're too high and too far away to start their descent. So that's kind of why there are not now they're a little behind and they're out of position. So between 649 and eight seconds until 650 and 21 seconds, that's so like a little over a, like a minute. What is that? Like a minute, 13 seconds. The captain mm-hmm. asks air traffic. At least, control, on, at least on y'all's clock. <laughs> 73 <laughs> seconds according to my clock yes my clock it was 43 but i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to know what chris <laughs> sorry, time is sorry <laughs> so over this period of time they ask air traffic control four times for clearance to turn left and fly south to point romeo a navigational position approximately 41 miles south of the airport and it was where they had passed it before when they were making their initial approach so they wanted to go back to romeo to try uh-huh. to get re-lined up and attempt another landing approach. So basically, they're like, we went too far, we're too high, we can't land. Mm-hmm. And they're asking air traffic control, can we make a left turn, go back to that other point, you know, where we start, where we should start the descent, get to that point, and then turn around and start our descent over. And he wants to do the, the south one. Right. If they, if they go to Romeo, then they want to, that would allow them to land to the north on runway 02. Okay. Although a left turn under these circumstances was a reasonable and safe action for the airplane, Uh air traffic control did not respond to the captain's repeated requests. Just to add like a little bit of a wrinkle here, even though air traffic control didn't respond to them, you know, they're they're all listening on the same frequency, you know, right? All the planes in the area and air traffic control, there's like shared frequencies. It's not just like one-to-one. This plane, Thai Airways 311, knew there was, somewhere off to their left, there was another plane also in the area. So maybe that's why they're asking for permission. They can't just turn left. Mm-hmm. So at approximately 6.50 and 50 seconds, without requesting or obtaining clearance from air traffic control, the flight crew began a climbing right turn. So like I said, that, and that's the reason I kind of say that. You know, they wanted to turn left, couldn't get permission. They know that, or presumably, I can't say for certain, uh-huh. there is another plane out there that's communicating with air traffic control. So instead of turning left, they decide, 
let's climb and turn right. That's I, I mean, I assume that's a bad call, but like at, at this point, how do you view that decision? Like, is that like they shouldn't have done that at all? Or it's like where they, I mean, they're being cautious and they didn't want to hit another plane. Yeah. I, if, if, if it were me, uh-huh. I would be getting frustrated that I'm not getting responded to. And again, I don't know, <laughs> you know how things work in Nepal. I don't know how things work uh-huh. overseas. If I were here in Austin trying to land at the Austin airport and I couldn't get a response, I would not make a left turn without being told. But that could be a bad thing because in this case, they're flying north. He knows that there's mountains in front of him. Uh-huh. Uh, if he doesn't begin to turn, he knows he's going to get too close to the mountains. So, so would you make a right turn? I guess. Yeah, it's it's tough. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what the correct response here is. Okay, but they turned right, presumably not to get close to the plane to the left, and they know that there's mountains to the north, and they don't want to keep going north. Yeah. So the first at this point, the first officer uh, notified air traffic control at six fifty one and fifty five seconds of the right turn and the crew's intention to climb to eighteen thousand feet and return to Point Romeo. At this point, finally, air traffic control responds and they order the aircraft to descend to eleven thousand five hundred feet and maintain that altitude, and the flight crew complied with that. Okay. So, you know, they, they weren't given permission to turn left. They turn right, and they say, we're, we're climbing to 18,000. Air traffic control finally responds and says, okay, right turn's fine, but stay at 11,500 feet. And remember, the mountains to the south are at about 8,000 feet, so mm-hmm. should be fine. But the air traffic control doesn't know where they are. Correct. <laughs> you see where this is. radar. You see where this is going. Yes. Six separate times from 6.52 and 6 seconds to 6.59 and 39 seconds. That's a period of like seven and a half minutes. Air traffic control authorized the aircraft to head south and return to Point Romeo. Instead of turning 180 degrees and heading south on heading 202, as was their stated intention, the flight crew mistakenly turned the aircraft into a full circle, 360 degrees. Oh. Then unknowingly continued heading north towards the mountains surrounding Kathmandu on heading 022. What? And it sounds really confusing. It's frustrating. You're like, how can that happen? But I want to yeah. point something out here. Uh-huh. They were supposed to turn south heading 202. Okay. Instead, they headed north on 022. They were cleared to land on runway 20 when they wanted to land on runway 02. What was the heading they were supposed to go on? Like when you're trying to remember that many numbers and they're all zeros and twos, oh. it's, it gets confusing yeah. real fast. Yeah. Okay. I'm not saying that's what's ha- that's what happened. I'm just saying if I tried to remember that many zeros and twos, I'd be like, "Oh man, what was it again?" Yeah, <laughs> I'd be I'd be asking, uh, "Oh, what what two zero two zero two 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 zero zero two? You know? Yeah. And then on top of that, the plane's compass only had numbers on it. It didn't have like an N S E W. I was about to say, I was like, why didn't they just like I don't know? In my head, I was like, I'll just go this north or south, like right. So then on top of all the zeros and twos, there's no letters to break it up. So they're just forced to remember numbers. And again, it, it, when you're sitting here on the ground and you're not under stress, you're like, oh, it's easy to remember a couple of numbers, but there's a lot going on. The flaps were, you know, acting finicky. They're changing the runway. They need to turn south. So, and we've talked about this before, you know, when autopilots engage, depending on the mode, sometimes a pilot to execute a turn might just turn the heading selector. Mm-hmm you know, knob, they're not actually turning the plane themselves. So they'll turn. And if, you know, like, let's say they want to turn, make a right turn to the south. They can't just dial in the number they want to go to because the the plane might start turning left instead. So they might do incremental turns like 30 degrees, 30 degrees, 30 degrees. Yeah. Because if you're doing a 180, like they think they're doing, then you wouldn't know if it would turn left or right because it's right. Correct. So that so they may lead the plane a little bit with the heading knob, and mm-hmm. I would 
guess in this case, since they did a full 360, the pilot lost concentration or forgot the heading he was supposed to be on and just led the plane too much and ended up doing a 360 instead of a 180. Mm. And they had become preoccupied, according to the report. Their flaps are still up? Their flaps have been extended successfully. The flaps are working now. Okay. And the crew had you know, become preoccupied for about 6.54 and 12 seconds with their unsuccessful efforts to input and display the location of Point Romeo on the computerized flight management system. Remember, I, I mentioned this at the, at the intro, you know, the, the captain's flying and he asks the first officer, you know, they, they, they want to go back to Romeo to restart their approach. So he asks the first officer to put Romeo into the computer. And, uh, you know, the first officer's putting Romeo in and the computer's not showing them something they expect. You know, the, when they put their waypoint in the flight management system, the computer will show them, you know, the path that they need to take. Mm-hmm. And at this point, since they did a 360, they are north of the airport and they think that they're south of the airport. So the, the computer's showing them, oh, to get to Romeo, execute a left turn. It's behind you, which is correct. But in their mind, they're like, that doesn't make any sense. Romeo's in front of us, not behind us. Oh, so they're like, oh, the, com- the computer's acting up. The computer's malfunctioning. Oh, What's on no. your screen? What's oh, on no. my screen? Right. The computer's telling them the right thing, but they just don't realize where they are. And it's creating more confusion. Not realizing that they turned an extra 180 degrees. That's right. Yeah. So the computer can't show the, the waypoint because it's behind them. And they're like, mm-hmm. well, that doesn't make sense. We're heading south already. It can't be behind us. Yeah. Uh, it should be in front of us. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, I, I mean, I guess the closest thing would be like, if you're lost and your GPS is like, turn around. You're like, I don't need to turn around where I'm going is in front of me. It's like, no, the, no. the GPS is right. You need to turn around. I've done this before when it just on the ground using GPS to walk places. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's happened to all of us where you're like, no, that doesn't make any sense. I'm going the right way. And then a few minutes later, you're like, oh no, that it was right. I was going I'm, the right way. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I, I've learned to ignore my instinct. If the GPS tells me to do something, I do it. I'm like, okay, yeah. I don't think this is right, but <laughs> surely uh, the, this knows better than I do. But of course, sometimes it gets you and takes you the wrong way, especially if you're using uh, Apple maps. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so they continue to, mess with the flight management system, the FMS, and to operate under the misconception that they're heading south. And this lasts for six minutes. That's a long time to be like... That's a really long time. Going the wrong direction. And towards 20,000 foot mountains. Yes, at 11,000 feet. Right. After, you know, after a while, after these six minutes, that's when the first officer finally realizes, oh, that they're heading north. And he tries to communicate this fact to the captain who doesn't understand the warning because he said, and remember I said this in the intro, we're flying north, huh? Which is a very weird way to say it. It's not very authoritative. It is. The way he phrased that, it sounded like they were actually going south and he was, like, he was, I don't know, it's ambiguous. It wasn't saying, hey, we're going north. Right. And, you know, we've talked about this. question. Right. We've talked about this with, like, CRM and, you know, uh-huh. sa- the things that are, like, the underpinnings of safety. It's, like, being very authoritative and communicating your concerns. Clearly, <laughs> clearly, right. And in a way that's understandable and making sure that it's understood. And, you know, he says this and the captain doesn't know what he's saying. I think actually the captain replies, we're about to make our turn south or something. We, you know, he, he, it's just it's clear he doesn't understand what is being said or or what's going on. Actually, I think what he said was we're about to make our turn, oh, which is also confusing because he didn't confirm. Right. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's just it's just a really weird exchange. And we're going to get a little more into that in a yeah. bit. Because he was checking, and then I guess he didn't understand. And so it, they're both, like, confirming but not answering. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, uh, like I said, 28 mm-hmm. seconds after the first officer says this, the 
plane impacts the side of a mountain 23 miles north of Kathmandu at an altitude of 11,500 feet uh-huh. uh, and a ground speed of 300 nautical miles an hour and, of course, killed everyone on board instantly. And I guess in 1992, that's right before they might have the proximity like alert for the ground. Okay, Chris, that's a really good question. This whole thing is incredibly, already you can tell, this whole thing is incredibly frustrating. Seconds before the impact, the ground proximity warning system did activate. Oh, no. uh, And sounded alarms warning the crew of imminent collision with the mountains. The first officer, you know, hears this and warns the captain and says, we need to turn around. But for reasons I'm about to get into, the, the pilot said, oh, it's just giving false alerts. What? Right. So there, there were a number, the, the, and you can already tell, you haven't asked the question yet, but you can already tell that's maybe, some, maybe you can tell something's going on here. Yeah. There's, poor, there's really poor communication. The captain doesn't seem to be listening. There had been a number of frustrating and misleading communications due partly to language problems and an inexperienced air traffic controller who was a trainee, actually, who only had nine months on the job regarding flight, this flight's altitude and distance from the airport. So the captain was annoyed. He had asked four times for permission to turn left, and then he received no reply to his request. Then that's when he announced, remember, he announced he's turning right yeah. and climbing. The controller handling the flight assumed from that transmission that the aircraft had called off the approach and was returning to the south, and that's why he cleared the aircraft at 11,500 feet, which would have been totally safe south of the airport. And the flight descended to 11,500 feet, but like we said, did that 360-degree turn and passed over the airport northbound. Airport doesn't have radar, so they don't know, and they can't warn the plane. Mm-hmm. And in fact, at one point, the, uh, you know, since there is no radar, air traffic control asks the flight for their position. And the, um, you know, the captain says, you know, he looks at his instruments and says that they're five DME from the airport, five miles from the airport. But based on the timing, the air traffic controller, that doesn't make sense to the air traffic controller uh-huh. because he thinks that they're flying south, like they said, but they're flying north. So like if they had been flying south, they should be further away than five miles, but they had passed over the airport and gone north. That's why they were only five miles away. So he asks the captain for confirmation, like, how far are you? And the captain replied, five DME, zero, five, five, mm. you know, very angry yeah, and annoyed. Yeah. So. So that shut the air traffic controller down and that shut him up. He stopped asking because he didn't, you know, he didn't want to deal with this guy anymore. But that should have been one of those red flags. Yeah. He's a trainee. He's, he's, he's feels like, oh, I messed, you know, right. he messed up and doesn't want to. Yeah. But it's like if, if he had really started thinking about it, he would have been like, that doesn't make any sense. If you're, you know, conf- if you're only five yeah. away, confirm your position because you should be further away than that by this point. Oh, everyone's just confused. Right. And not, no one's. Stating it clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of poor communication all around. And the, another thing that maybe you, have, that you haven't asked about is, and maybe we don't talk about this enough, is why is the captain flying the plane and talking on the radio? Oh, yeah. That, makes, that, that shouldn't be happening. You know, the pilot flying should focus on flying the plane. The other pilot should be pilot monitoring. They should handle all radio transmissions and to make sure that they're the one looking at the instruments, double-checking that everything's okay. At this point now, the captain's flying, talking, <laughs> doing all the radio commands, and taking care of all the instruments himself. He's the one moving the heading bug, which is why it gets moved in 360 degrees. He's doing degrees. everything. He, he's doing everything. He's task-saturated, and he's making mistakes, and he's angry, and the first officer who's sitting next to him doesn't want to anger him more, so he's kind of shut down. Mm. 
yeah, and that's why that's why he it doesn't really emphasize we're going north. Like, hey, we're not going the right way. We're going north. That's why it's a very passive. We're going north, eh? Because because he's not in control. He's not doing anything. He's just he's yeah. He's kind of like shut down and just kind of yeah. You, you know how it is when you're around someone who's angry or I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, sure you've yeah. seen this, even if, even if you're not the kind of person who does this. But when someone else gets really angry, like as humans, sometimes you have the 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 reflex to like just kind of back off and be like, all right, that person uh-huh. needs their space. I'm going to let them be angry for a little bit. Don't you can't do that in the cockpit, especially yeah. around mountains. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I'm just imagining being in a car and two people get into an argument and it's awkward. And so you're just right. Like, mm, I don't want to say if they're. We just missed the turn, <laughs> right? But and not not a big deal yeah. when you're in a car in the back seat. Like imagine imagine your Uber driver is like having an argument on the phone while you're sitting there, and you're like, oh, "That's that's that was where I need to go." You know, you, as you're driving past, uh, he'll figure it out. The GPS will let him know, <laughs> right? He's like, oh, "The GPS is wrong." <laughs> I don't know about you all, but for me, getting news from a single source or trying to wade through the chaos of social media to find accurate information can be frustrating and fruitless. Luckily, Smart News offers the solution to misinformation and information overload by evaluating stories, articles, and publishing partners to deliver reliable news. With Smart News, you can stay informed and ready to talk about the news with anyone from coworkers to family. Yes, even that uncle you see once a year during the holidays. Smart News even aggregates local and global stories from trusted publishers so you can stay informed on what matters most to you from local weather to trending TV shows all in one app. It scans stories, analyzes headlines, and partners with respected publishers to deliver information that helps you live smarter. You can say goodbye to information overload and say hello to saving time and getting straight to the news you care about. Download Smart News for free today in the App Store to get the news that matters the most. That's S-M-A-R-T-N-E-W-S. Search for it on the Apple App Store for your iPhone or iPad or Google Play Store for Android users. A news app made smarter. Discover the all-in-one platform that delivers all the information you need. Once again, that's Smart News, available for free in the App Store. So because of all of this confusion, like I said, the plane impacted these mountains north of the airport. Air traffic control thought this plane was south of the airport. This actually caused a huge delay in finding the wreckage. Oh, I bet. Because yeah. they, you know, the rescuers were sent to the wrong place. You know, the, when the plane stopped responding and you know disappeared off, oh, I guess it didn't disappear off radar. I should just say when the plane stopped responding and they couldn't get a hold of it, you know, they dispatched rescue teams south of the airport. And, you know, oh. they're searching everywhere south of the airport and they can't find a plane. Oh, my God. Yeah, the, the wreckage was finally discovered at 8.30 p.m. local time. And remember, this happened right around noon. So it's eight, eight and a half hours later. That is, that's crazy. It took that's them a, that. Yeah. I guess if they were going, they were looking the opposite direction and they had no reason to, in their minds, to look north. Right. And remember, they crashed into a mountain. It was a heavily forested, mountainous area. So there's not, it's not like they crashed near a city really or anything. Yeah. And so rescue efforts were initially hampered by the darkness. More than 1,500 rescue workers gathered to search for survivors, but inclement weather on Saturday morning delayed their efforts. A planned helicopter search was aborted early Saturday due to poor weather conditions. Remember, again, mountains yeah. collect clouds. There's going to be bad weather. The wreckage was sighted near the village of Argacola, about 40 miles southwest of the capital, a senior Nepalese army official told uh, United Press International. Earlier, state-owned radio Nepal had said the crash was near the village of Agor in the same area. So they had kind of nailed it down. And the problem was that since this was so remote, uh-huh. you know, there were people in the area who heard an explosion and kind of wanted to, you know, alert authorities about it, but there was really no communication methods for them. Remember this is 1992. 
Oh, uh, it's not like they would get on the internet, send an email or text someone, you know, they have, <laughs> it took a long time for them to let someone know so that they could then focus their search efforts up there in that area. Yeah. The wreckage, you know, was found eventually, uh, but you know, it was on a mountainside. We've talked about these kinds of accidents before these kinds of crash sites. They're very difficult to get to. Uh, it's not like you can just drive up to it or it's not like you can even really easily walk to it. You know, it takes significant effort to even get people to the site to look for survivors and then begin the investigation. In fact, this area where this accident occurred was so remote that one of the investigators actually died. What? Of altitude sickness while he was on his way to the crash site. Oh my, that's crazy. Yeah, he suffered from hypoxemia, which is uh, like a lack of oxygen in the blood. Yeah. Just from the altitude. I assume he wasn't local? No, he was actually, it was a British investigator mm. uh, who was um, from Airbus, who was part of the team looking, you know, into the crash. So, I mean, that, I just want to kind of stress like how remote and dangerous this is. You know, you don't think about how, like the the human impact on even the investigators, like people who aren't in the crash itself can still be hurt or even, you know, die from uh, these, these circumstances. Yeah, I guess because when there's emergency, you're trying to, find stuff out as quickly as possible but like to prepare to go up those elevations that much you kind of have to that's why they have base camp for you know climbing mm -hmm. uh, mount everest you have to like stay there for what like weeks or something to get acclimated to the oxygen right or lack right. thereof the, like like how thin uh yeah. how thin it is up there so yeah it's uh it was awful and then yeah i mean i don't i don't want to get into all of that but it was really really terrible because he was a very experienced uh, investigator. He had oh. tested tons of aircraft. He was one of the UK's most experienced test pilots. Really, really awful that, you know, on top of everyone who died in the crash itself, you know, there's this ripple effect where, you know, someone else uh, also dies. I don't know if it, and we, and this is the first that I can think of that this has happened, but maybe it's happened on other uh, episodes. Yeah, I don't know of any. I can't remember of any others that we talked about where this happens, but I definitely, so that's why I definitely wanted to highlight yeah. this one this time. So, like I said, Captain Sudamai appeared to be making the radio transmissions as well as flying the plane at the time in contradiction to the necessary division of workload shared by the pilot flying and the pilot who's not flying, who's meant to focus on the equipment, freeing each other to focus on their respective duties for flying a commercial airliner. Yeah. So, again, you know, he was upset there was also this this weird thing this this is i didn't know where to where to put this in uh -huh. there's this weird footnote at the time thai airways i don't I, I don't think they still do this but there's definitely something at the time there's an older you know incident 30 years ago at the time when they would evaluate their pilots you know and you know have their reports and you know whatnot they would evaluate and assign their pilots so they would determine right off the bat, or not right off the bat, they would determine after a while if a pilot ever had the capability of being promoted to a captain or if they were going to be a first officer their entire career. Oh. Yeah, and the first officer on this flight had been evaluated and had been determined he could only ever be a first officer. He could never be a captain. That's, that's kind of harsh. I don't know. It's kind of like, messed up, yeah. Because then you people might look down upon, on you and also you're going to, I don't know. That's Which is, again, maybe one of the reasons the captain stopped delegating to the first officer and started trying to take everything on himself, thinking, I'm better at this than that guy. Yeah, they just determined he was there for the rest of his life. He could never get promoted. That, that's really depressing. 
Yeah, it's definitely bad from like a like a human psychology standpoint. Yeah, you know, and from you know the, the way that you you treat people. So that's just like another little bit, like another little nugget that maybe illuminates what was going through the captain's mind and you know what's going on in that situation. Might not just be. It also could be the first officer's mind. Like oh. right, yeah, maybe. So investigators from the Civil Aviation Authority of Nepal, Airbus Industries, and the Transportation Safety Board of Canada, which assisted with technical details, determined that the aircraft had experienced a minor fault in the workings of the inboard trailing flaps just after the aircraft reached the Sierra reporting fix. Uh, Remember, we mentioned that there was a, a problem with the flaps. And there was also poor communication with this. You know, when they communicate with air traffic control about this, the the captain just said they had a technical issue and then didn't elaborate. And, you know, on the ground, they have no idea what that means. So they never fully explain it. So uh, it was one of the details that had to be investigated. And concerned that the complex approach into Kathmandu in instrument conditions would be difficult with malfunctioning flaps and frustrated by air traffic control and his first officer's inconclusive and weak answers to his questions, the captain decided to divert to Calcutta. The flaps suddenly began to work properly, but the captain was forced to resolve more aspects of the difficult approach himself due to his first officer's lack of initiative. Only after numerous extremely frustrating exchanges with air traffic control was the captain able to obtain adequate weather information for the airport, but by that time he had overflown Kathmandu and the aircraft was headed towards the Himalayas. Uh, I forgot to mention another frustrating exchange that the captain had with the first officer is when they are first deciding whether or not they should divert to Calcutta. The captain asked the first officer, do we have enough fuel to divert to Calcutta? The first officer responds with a vague answer, something like, uh, we have enough fuel to return to Bangkok. And the captain gets mad at him and says, how much do we need to divert to Calcutta? Tell me specifically how mm. much fuel do, you know, do we need? And the first, yeah. So, you know, it was tense all around. Yeah, and I guess that's maybe why he was, I mean, not, not to say he should have, but he was, I don't know, not delegating more stuff to the first officer because he's like, this guy just, you know. He's not doing it right, right. Yeah. He's, he's, not, he's not telling me what I want. Like, I'm, I'm going to ask him, then I'll have to do it anyway. Yeah. Nepalese authorities found the probable causes of the accident were the captain and air traffic controller's loss of situational awareness, language and technical problems caused the captain to experience frustration and a high workload, the first officer's lack of initiative and inconclusive answers to the captain's questions, the air traffic controller's inexperience, poor grasp of English, and reluctance to interfere with what he saw as piloting matters such as terrain separation, poor supervision of the inexperienced air traffic controller, Thai Airways International's failure to provide simulator training for the complex Kathmandu approach to its pilots and improper use of the aircraft's flight management system. So I think we kind of we kind of touched on all of those. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot going on. It's a lot going on. And like we say, so I feel like we say this almost every episode. There are so many things that went wrong that all like compound and lead to this. Who knows? Maybe if one of these things didn't happen. I know. These people would still be alive. Man, the captain just dis- dismissing the the proximity warning at the end, though, is like that one hurts the most because it's like I don't know. It's just like why would he why would he assume it was malfunctioning? And we've heard this before, right? <laughs> In other yeah. incidents where they're like, oh, it's an out of date database, or don't worry about that. Like, oh my god, <laughs> climb, listen to it, turn, yeah. do something. It's like <laughs> figure the, it out. It's the last. It's like that's not the thing you want to ignore. Yeah. According to Aviation Safety Network, the probable cause was found to be the balance of evidence suggests that the primary cause of the accident was that one or both pilots consistently failed to follow the approach procedure and inadvertently adopted a profile which, at each DME fix, was one altitude step ahead and below the correct procedure. Why and how that happened could not be determined with certainty because there was no record of the crew's conversation on the flight deck. 
Contributory causal factors were thought to be inevitable complexity of the approach and the associated approach chart. So after this accident, you know, Thai Airways retired to flight number 311, along with its counterpart flight 312, which had been used for the return flight from Kathmandu to Bangkok. Mm. And, and I, I assume there were no survivors, right? We, no, no, that? no. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, did, I did say that. Okay. No, no survivors. They were replaced by flight numbers 319 and 320. These redesignated flights continued to be operated by Airbus A310 aircraft until this type was retired by the airline and replaced with Boeing 777 aircraft in 2001. The remains of the aircraft can still be seen in the Langtang National Park on the trek from Gopti to Tarapati Pass. So it's still it was so remote yeah. that they didn't really recover the entire aircraft. So if you want to go mountain climbing in the Himalayas, north of Kathmandu, you can still see some of the remains of this aircraft. Be careful, though, because... Be careful. Like, it's, 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 it's dangerous. It's a, there's a reason that they weren't able to recover it. Man, it's, uh, it's terrible. It's incredibly frustrating. Like, I just think about them. I just think about the pilots trying to find Romeo and the flight management system telling them to turn around and then them not realizing, oh, it's because they're flying in the wrong direction. It just seems... You know, who knows? And like, I kind of only mentioned in passing, but who knows? Maybe even just marking the cardinal directions on the compass might have helped I, them realize why, why, that quicker. Why don't they have that? On they the- do now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why this specific plane didn't have that. I, fe- I thought that all planes, at, even at that time, had it. If it's a computer display, you would think it would just show it. Yeah, that's crazy to me that you would have yeah, a compass I can't answer that. without just north, south, east, west. Yeah, I mean, that being said, pilots do... Or at least north. Just right, one. at least north. And pilots are used to dealing with, you know, the radials and the, you know, directions. So I could see why someone would think like, oh, they don't need that. They're used to it. But, you know, when you're overloaded and your brain's, you know, go, doing a million things at once, it can be really overwhelming. I talked about that in that first class episode that, oh, no, it wasn't the first class episode. I talked about it in uh, the flight school uh, episode we did a couple of weeks ago, mm. where it was like when, when I first started taking pilot lessons, like that was the thing. It's like just being absolutely overwhelmed, not knowing what to look at and not knowing what to do first and trying to do too much at once. And I feel like when you get to a task saturation issue like this, where it's just too much going on, your brain doesn't know what to prioritize. It may be not, you know, it might look at something you and you don't fully absorb it or you don't fully give it the, the full amount of thought that it deserves. Or you can kind of shut down because you're like, don't know what to focus on. Right, exactly. At least that's how I feel sometimes when I organize. i'm reorganizing my office right now chris and i I feel you yeah it's like you pull everything out and you're like uh now i don't know (laughs) yeah and especially in this case when you know they're they're doing instrument flying and they're in clouds and you can't necessarily see outside and you're just trying to process everything based on looking at instruments and numbers in front of you and then like i said earlier a lot of those numbers are twos and zeros (laughs) it's easy to start yeah for you know to start losing track of which is a zero, which is a two, which is the, you know, which is your runway, which is your heading. It's just so many terrible and, things. Wait, and also, well, it was like around noon? Yes. So the sun's straight up in the air. Right. But I, I believe they were in clouds at the time. So okay. it may have just been illuminated everywhere. Mm. I was trying to think of like, they didn't have like the sun as a reference. That's true. When they're not in clouds, yeah, there's no way to know like, oh, you know, the sun's setting or the sun's rising, you know, yeah. that's definitely east or west. Yeah, that may, I didn't thought about that. That may have contributed as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but that's it for Thai Airways 311. This was a really interesting one because it was a, it's a little older and we had trouble finding like a final report we could use as huh. a reference for this. So we, you know, big shout out to uh, Marcos who really did a lot of 
legwork on pulling all this together from various sources that were available out there. This was a tough one to put together, but I thought it was really interesting and I thought it was something that definitely yeah. deserved its own episode. This this took some turns and <laughs> like, <laughs> literally because I was like, even just when you're setting it up at the top, I was like, they're going to run out of fuel or, or, you know, are they going to bad weather? They're going to, and then it hit a mountain. I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's terrible. But yeah, give us a follow on uh, social media at Black Box Down Pod. I'll see. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look again. I'll see if I can dig up the approach plate for that approach. I, I wasn't able to find it before we recorded this episode. I'll, I'll see what I, I'll see if I can post like a map or something outlining, uh, you know, the mountains and like the kind of the terrain that they have to uh, avoid coming in here. Definitely very complicated. Yeah, I'd be curious too, just to see kind of um, the mountains and like kind of how high. Oh, okay. Up, you know, or 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 you know that just that kind of area just to kind of visualize like that yeah i've always wanted to to visit nepal and Kathmandu. i think it would be it would be really impressive to see those mountains yeah Um, seems uh really really cool um yeah yeah i'll see i'll see what i can dig up we'll post some interesting stuff but anyway i'll uh we'll see you guys next week with another episode yeah and if you haven't blackboxdownpod.com yeah thanks bye